Before we start, if you're enjoying these conversations, please make sure that you like, subscribe, and leave a review for Cleaning Up. It really helps other people to find us. Also, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, where you can watch highlights from each episode, read my takeaways, and keep up with all things Cleaning Up. Cleaning Up is brought to you by our lead supporter, Capricorn Investment Group, the Liebreich Foundation, and the Gilardini Foundation. Hello, I'm Michael Liebreich, and this is Cleaning Up. Today, it's my great privilege to welcome His Serene Highness Prince Albert II, Prince of Monaco, to Cleaning Up. Conservation of the oceans has been of special importance to the Prince's family for generations. His great-grandfather, the first Prince Albert, funded scientific research and founded the world-famous Monaco Oceanographic Institute. Since his accession to the throne in 2005, Prince Albert II has made environmental campaigning a key feature of his reign. The Prince Albert II Foundation, which he established in 2006, is dedicated to protecting the environment with a special focus on climate change, biodiversity, and water. Monaco's fourth Ocean Week coincided with our filming of this episode. During the week, Prince Albert launched the Re-Ocean Fund, aiming to raise $100 million over 10 years to invest in startups that support UN Sustainable Development Goal 14, Life Underwater. So please join me in welcoming His Serene Highness, Prince Albert II of Monaco, to cleaning up. So, Monsignor, thank you very much for joining us here on Cleaning Up. It's a pleasure, thank you. So, um, a great pleasure, particularly to have another Olympian on the show, as uh, so we had one before who was uh, Axel Spingard, um, who, was a, who was a good friend of mine as well. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, I, when I was introducing myself, it was always a bit, a bit embarrassing because, of course, he was rather more successful than me. <laughs> but you went to five Olympics, is that correct? That is correct. I had the privilege of uh, being a, a five-time Olympian, uh, so from 1988 to 2002, and it was uh, incredible experiences, as you know. Uh, but uh, to to be just a part of a of this formidable event and to live in the Olympic Village and to to get that experience and then to on three out of the five occasions I was the flag bearer for, for Monaco so to carry your uh, your country's flag and being with your teammates and your and the whole delegation there it's a it's a it's a very special moment and so I I cherish the, these uh, these memories uh, but. I cherish the whole adventure of uh, having a 16-year career as a bobsledder uh, on most of all the different tracks of the world, and uh, just to, the the friendships that I was able to foster during the, during that period of, are amazing, and are of course they're they're still not quite the same as early childhood friends, but but. Uh, Nevertheless, they're very strong friendships, and it's a very tight community. As you know, uh, most water sports and most, you know, these kind of sports that only really exist uh, or have any recognition uh, uh, during the Olympic Games, uh, it, it tends to make that community very, very tight. And so it's uh, it's always a pleasure when I get to get to meet up with uh, with, with old 
Bob say friends. So, so do you remember special. each of the Olympics, the five? Because I was at Albertville. Yeah. Uh, so 1992, where your track would have been in La Plagne. Yeah, and it's a track that is one of the only tracks that I've actually bobsledded on. But really? do you remember each one separately? Oh, yeah. No, no. I, the, every heavy Olympic has it. Of course, the, the first Olympics that you go to is, uh, that you participate in is the, the, the most special because you're discovering everything and it has more of a, of an impact on you, I think. So, so Calgary has a has a very special place in in my memory. But, but uh, yes, I remember every every race. Uh, maybe not every run, <laughs> but uh, but uh, every every one of those Olympic uh, of those sixteen days at uh, at the Winter Olympics that I was participating in has a has a special place. Yeah. I think I can pretty much remember every... Well, I was only at one Olympic, so my first was also my last. That makes things easy. So I do remember the Olympic uh, race, but you do tend to remember races. It's funny how they get kind of engraved. And now we're recording this during uh, Monaco's Ocean Week. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm particularly grateful because it must be an incredibly busy time. Have you been heavily involved in... It was a very... It is a very busy week. Uh, There are several events every day in there. And then, of course, there are... Uh, n- numerous side meetings, and and because there are a lot of different uh, uh, experts on different in different areas that are here, a lot of people that I've known for years, a lot of a lot of friends, and in, in oceans conservation and 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 other and other areas that uh, and we were and we're able to pool. That's the the, the beauty of this Ocean Week is that we're not only not only able to pool like-minded uh, uh, people in in ocean conservation, but you know, different scientists, different NGOs, different uh, international organizations, but also the uh, uh, the corporate world and, and different representatives of of, uh, of different uh, businesses that that uh, are interested in in investing and, and different solutions to to help our oceans. And so, um, it's it's really a a coming together of of, of uh, different stakeholders and and di- different. Uh, people interested in in well, not only learning more about the state of our of our global ocean, but but willing to uh, play play a part, and uh, so that's why it, it was important to to, uh, to convene these people here. And we have been doing this for uh, fourteen years now. It, it hasn't always been an, a complete week. It was just uh, the first event, which is the Monaco Blue Initiative, which is a sort of a forum for. Um, Bringing together uh, also political leaders, we had the president of Costa Rica this year, uh, and and his country, of course, at, at the forefront in, of environmental uh, conservation and 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 initiatives. Um, but uh, and then it 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 developed uh, over the past uh, three or four years now, no, or more than that, uh, in, into a whole week of different events, not only at the Oceanographic Museum but at the Yacht Club primarily. Uh, and with with great initiatives and, and great uh, uh, innovative solutions, and I was yesterday also at a uh, presentation of, uh, of different uh, uh, yachts uh, from from very prestigious uh, uh, companies that that are starting to think differently in terms of propulsion and, and are proposing. Hydrogen and and fuel cell uh, technologies to to uh, to equip new their new and upcoming yachts and so that's 
that's a that's a great step forward that we've been talking about this for for a few years now but to see see it actually happen is uh extremely encouraging and there's definitely a huge amount on the move um i work across transportation energy infrastructure um so i'm i'm watching some of those initiatives but there's one that really struck me which was um the launch of the uh the fund mm-hmm. there's a it, it, it's it's mm-hmm. not yet been uh, fully formalized all the details of it but it was very interesting to see the role of finance being really showcased at the uh, at the ocean week absolutely so we uh we have to go back also to last year's uh, monaco ocean week where we launched the ocean innovators platform which was a convening of uh, of different investors but but not necessarily for 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 a fund but but philanthropists and and uh people interested in and uh helping to make a difference and, and to, you know, create uh, networking and, and talk, contacts between them. But then this year we, we decided that, that that was not enough. And so, and uh, philanthropy can only go so far. And so that's why we, we launched uh, uh, just a couple of days ago, the, the Reocean Fund, uh, which is going to be a fund of, of uh, which is capital uh, equity fund uh, that, uh, We'll have an initial uh, feed of, of 100 million euros, and and of course we we it was a formal presentation of it, but we are very confident that uh, just gauging from the feedback that we got from that first presentation that uh, uh, that there is considerable interest in this, and so that's that's it was a. The solution to get, uh, you know, to get the financial world and, and different entrepreneurs and different investors interested in in in, uh, in different projects uh, that that concern our ocean. And it's a joint venture. We'll come on to talk about the foundation, but it's a joint venture between your foundation mm-hmm. and a private asset manager. Yes, Monaco Moscow Asset Management. Yeah, uh, which and they've been active and. Uh, in the principality for years, and they have a known track record, and and they uh, are able to to, to pool, uh, I think, substantial funds, and 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 have the contacts for 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 those investors that uh, have expressed interest. Now, so I'm very excited about this. I was very struck by the continuity of your family's commitment to the oceans, and that's something I'd, I'd like to explore a bit because. It is generational, is it not? I mean, you started with your, I believe it was your great-great-grandfather, who was really quite a significant ocean scientist in his own right, was he not? No, he was an incredible, well, incredible adventurer, first of all, and he, his love of the ocean and of science, but but uh, of all sciences. He, he, he had a curious mind in, in, in that uh, he was, and that, that, uh, that uh, instinct of, of being curious about everything and, and about uh, different uh, ways to explore the world, and, and but but always, of course, with a scientific intention. And so, he, although he wasn't scientifically trained himself, he uh, uh, loved to be surrounded by scientists. And so he 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 personally funded and and equipped uh, well four four different. Y- yachts that he that he owned over uh, over his lifetime, and um, uh, supported d- different expeditions not only here in the Mediterranean but in the Atlantic and the Arctic Ocean, and uh, so some twenty eight different expeditions. 
Um, and so he, he was quite a quite a navigator, uh, but and and really um, kind of gathered uh, a, a lot of uh, very uh, and in those days the, the, these were the early days of oceanography and uh, it was it was still a relatively young science and and to be able to galvanize uh, that many people to, who accepted to join him on, on his different expeditions really made a difference and, and helped uh, develop that, that science quite, quite significantly. And so he was a great visionary and, and uh, has left us a, an incredible legacy, not only with the Institute in Paris, but with the Oceanographic Museum here, uh, just a few blocks away from here. Indeed, and my first exposure to oceanography, frankly, would have been through the films of uh, the great Jacques Cousteau, who was the director of that. Uh, he was the director of the of the museum for well over thirty years, and he launched uh, different of his uh, a few of his expeditions right from here. And I remember going as a as a young teenager with my parents to see Jacques Cousteau and his uh, and his team of the Calypso uh, off on their and this was in the early 70s, and it was, a, I think it was in that time, a four-year expedition. This was his voyage to, the edge of the, voyage to the Edge of the World, I think it was billed as. Yes, I believe that that was the one. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but he was an incredibly generous man, and, and he uh, let me, and, and, he, he, and that's my only regret, that I was never able to, because I had, of course, uh, high school and, and then college commitments, uh, and so I couldn't join him, but but he had uh, invited me to to come join him on uh, at, at different uh, points of that of that ex of that particular expeditions, but but also the the ones after that. And so uh, that's my only regret that I was never able to join him. I have to ask: Did you get any sort of behind the scenes tours of the of the museum, the institute? Oh yeah, did you, you did. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the all the back of the house. Uh, and uh, back of the aquariums uh, tour. Oh yes, I, I did that many times. And and then the when the scientific center w was in the museum, I, I, I was in there a few times as well. So you know, it's uh, uh, it's it's really a very a very special place. And so, did you always know that when you took office, that the oceans would be one of the major themes that you would be developing, building on that legacy? Yes, but but I. And, and that's why it was important uh, uh, to establish that, that we weren't going to substitute ourselves to the, uh, to the museum or, and, and to its missions, but rather be uh, complementary uh, and, and work with them on, on those issues. But also I, I was uh, very uh, intent on, on not only dealing with ocean issues, but with, with other uh, very pressing issues of... Uh, Surrounding climate change, of course, but but not only forests and the and the deforestation, uh, water issues, and and uh, you know the, the general concern on on biodiversity, be it on land or, or at sea, and so uh, that's why we were able to to uh, get involved and get the foundation involved in so many different projects of protecting different species, but also of of uh, uh, different scientific uh, projects, uh, uh, biodiversity inventories, uh, both on land and, and at sea, and so it was. Uh, it's it's really much more than just the oceans. Although the, the it was our 
we wanted also to help prove that the that the oceans are uh, absolutely uh, are of vital importance to uh, not only to the overall balance of the world, but but to our own survival on this planet as well. Let's come back in in a minute to the foundation, the work of the foundation, which is broader than oceans. Um, but I'm just I'm struck by this image of the sort of 17-year-old you waving goodbye to Jacques Cousteau, and then you later went on your own expeditions, quite significant expeditions. I think you've described yourself as, is it the, the bipolar prince who's been to both poles? Uh, 2005, you went to the North Pole, and you actually stood in the same place as your great-great-grandfather and took some photographs. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. That was, uh, so this was uh, in the summer of 2005, and we there was an opportunity to go with uh, a small scientific team from the Monaco Science Center and, and from the museum to uh, do the same route around around Spitsbergen and the and the Svalbard archipelago excuse me um, and uh, that was a really int very interesting uh, and and quite thrilling trip and yes we did we did stop in uh, most of the uh, bays and 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 saw the places that that he was able to name um and but in one bay the the lily hook and glacier bay uh he took personally uh and the first one took one of the most significant i think pictures uh that were others taken by other uh other explorers uh, of course but of uh, of that glacier that's in in the uh, end of that bay and to see it uh, to just a uh, very simple comparison when you and, and we tried to stand in the same place where, where he actually took that picture and to see that uh, the way that that glacier has receded uh, some uh, five to six kilometers uh, was was actually pretty daunting and pretty 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 scary and I went. I was able to go back this past June. Uh, with the the, the uh, Oceanographic Museum organized a, a cruise on a on a on a cruise ship, but that that is also scientifically equipped. The Commandant Charco of the, the Ponot Lines, uh, and this was a commemorative cruise for the 100th uh, year uh, uh, since Prince Albert I. Uh, uh, actually left us and so um we we were able to to go back to the Hill glacier and it has receded even more substantially than than uh, uh, eight years ago sorry uh, uh, 16 years ago and and, and so um it's it, they, we we really uh this can only us uh, reinforce uh, my conviction and and our conviction that those who uh, at the foundation and those who were, were around me at that time that, that we need to uh, really with with this understanding of, of, of these of what is happening in these extraordinary fragile and important uh, parts of the world and, and like the, both polar regions uh, that we need to do more to, to try to protect them better and to minimize our impact. So the 2005 trip, was that kind of a climate awakening? Because I had a similar experience with glaciers in Switzerland. I was doing some cross-country no. near to Pontresina, St. Moritz. And I, I know it well. 
<laughs> there's a valley there where they've marked which year the glacier came down to which point, and it is kilometers that it has receded in the last hundred years. So for me, that was an awakening. Was that is that your experience? You yes, know? that and and the uh, dog sled trip to the North Pole, which was uh, the, the the following April, uh, where you know we were on the ice cap then, and and seeing the uh, the varying degrees of thickness of that ice cap uh, as you approach the the, the pole, the, the actual North Pole. Um, and we had one guy in, in our expedition, one, one, one member who fell in the water and who fortunately caught himself in time. And so there, there wasn't too much damage. He had to change clothes, of course, because they were a little wet. Uh, but, um, but, uh, but that was an indication also that, that uh, things were changing rapidly. And this was in April uh, of 2006. Um, and right now, I'm, I'm not sure uh, because the, the conditions, as I've been told by, by other observers, that are, are, even, are even worse. And, and I don't think that expedition with dog sleds could be possible uh, anymore, even in the early part of spring because the ice thickness simply isn't there yeah. and, the, and the changing of weather conditions. There are routes in the Alps that I've climbed which can no longer be climbed because the, 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 the permafrost has melted and yeah. it's now too dangerous. So you went in 2009, you went to the uh, into Antarctica mm -hmm. and you visited science outposts. Um, yeah. But I, I want to move forward to 2018. You did something really interesting. You went to the Torres Straits and you met up with... Um, uh, Alec Tipoti, and that resulted in a film and, and a real sort of meeting of, it sounds to, like it was a meeting of minds or an emotional meeting of minds mm -hmm. um, with this um, Geringun mm -hmm. artist. Well, Alec Tipoti and, and other Aboriginal artists uh, were in Monaco uh, a few years before that uh, because we did this, we had this big exhibition at the Oceanographic Museum on uh, on these on Aboriginal art, and and it was uh, this was uh, of course sponsored by the Australian government, and so it was uh, the, the really some outstanding artists, and and we did a whole exhibition, not only of their work but uh, also a photographic exhibition of of where where they lived and and what uh, you know what uh, were the conditions in different parts of Australia, um, and uh, we we really uh, had a had a wonderful contact, and so he he then invited me. Uh, to come and visit him and, and his community, uh, and it was uh, it was really a wonderful trip. And and we uh, and at that time I, I didn't think that we were going to actually do a <laughs> uh, do a documentary, but but uh, he asked if if the if a camera crew could follow us, and I said yes, and and it, so it and it turned out to be a uh, really a wonderful moment and and great conversations on on you know what what their living conditions were and, and what was affecting them and uh, of course the the, the difference in, in the, the seasonal differences are much more uh, marked now than they ever used to be and the rise in temperatures and 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 the 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 degradation of of, of sea life and and the uh, problems with ocean acidification also in that part of the world are, are pretty pretty significant the the bleaching of corals of course and 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 
and and other uh, uh, impactful element, elements that, that that can be visible and that they can feel. And so it was really uh, very moving to to see that what their relationship to their natural surroundings are and and how connected that they are to uh, to to their natural world and, and and their natural surroundings and 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 in our western countries we've we've lost a lot of that connection and so that's also what uh, um, what we are trying to do at the foundation is to have people understand have a better awareness and a better understanding of of how these natural mechanisms work what is affecting them and you know how we can be better uh, members of uh, the natural world because we we do belong to the natural world. So that was the documentary Alec and Albert. Mm-hmm. Um, one question that I have is, as you talked to Alec, as you talked to the other Gringons that you met, was there any anger towards the West, the wealthier societies? I'm just very struck by their vulnerability and quite yeah. you know modest means poor societies down there mm-hmm. um and then obviously you know, coming up to monaco which is almost an epitome of, of uh, epitomizes wealth was there any anger because these the climate change is not caused by the Giringuans; it's no. caused by people who live these life our lifestyles mm-hmm. no i didn't feel any anger i felt frustration and and uh uh not necessarily understanding why that this this is happening i mean they, they they do know why but they 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 can't they don't want to blame anybody it's just uh, unfortunate that it is happening but they're of course urging us and other uh countries around the world to to do their part and and uh lessening our our and and diminishing our 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 greenhouse gas emissions and and to leave more sustainable lives and we absolutely have to do that we, we we absolutely have to have to move in a fairly significant and and fairly rapid way toward a decarbonized economy it's going to take a while and it's going to take a lot of a lot of funds and it's going to it's going to take a lot of uh, commitment on part of civil society on 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 different uh, on different industries, but uh, uh, and also on on political leadership. But we absolutely have to move. We we have no other choice but to uh, live slightly differently. That doesn't mean that we're we have to you know uh, completely abandon all our uh, all our commodities and all our uh, all what what makes life comfortable but but we have to uh, live and feed ourselves and and heat ourselves or, or cool ourselves and use transportation in a different way now you've got your foundation which has been 17 years now uh, as a platform to address these uh, I, I suspect it's more and more about climate issues during that period but it's these and other issues um, how does the foundation work what's the modus operandi what's your sort of theory of affecting those changes through the foundation well quite simply it was um responding to uh, urgencies uh that, that 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 i saw and that uh, 
uh, everyone who who uh, joined me in the in the foundation's inception uh, that uh, we needed to do something more than uh, what what the government of Monaco was already doing, but but couldn't couldn't address other issues in in the in the, other countries that we were that we, we had a bilateral uh, 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 relation with, and and so that's why uh, the foundation first started just uh, funding different projects that were uh, uh, presented by by third parties, by by other organizations, other other NGOs, and and but we weren't the initiators of the projects, and it took a certain certain amount of time for us to, you know, fully get organized and, and get the expertise and get the, the contacts and the and the partnerships uh, to then initiate our own uh, programs and, and, and our own uh, uh, projects on the ground, but also uh, different awareness projects through different media. Uh, and so a bit, a bit pretty early on, we, we, I mean, try to address... Uh, Every issue, and that's why the, in the foundation's uh, mission statement, it's uh, to uh, combat the effects of climate change, to encourage uh, clean energies, uh, to uh, address water issues and uh, access to water, and and and, and then uh, biodiversity is, uh, as I said before, uh, be it on land or 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 at sea, the protection of. of of different species and the encouragement of, of you know, uh, encouraging protected areas. Uh, we're thinking, of course, primarily of marine protected areas, but but also on land. And so um, that's why we were able to, uh, thanks to uh, all our partnerships and all our everyone who who has helped the foundation and, and a wonderful team at the foundation. Uh, we were able to uh, uh, be, be involved in some 750 projects uh, on all continents uh, and raise well over 100 million euros uh, for, for these different projects. And so our, 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 our target areas are the Mediterranean uh, the Mediterranean basin, if, if you'd like. And, uh, and of course, we, we didn't because we are a mentoring country, but because there is also there are also urgencies uh, in and around the Mediterranean area, and then both polar regions, and then at least the developed countries, of course. And so this, uh, I, I'm extremely uh, proud and and happy the how the foundation has developed over the years and and how it is recognized as uh, as a serious. Uh, entity and, and as uh, someone that can be counted on for and as someone reliable uh, a reliable entity that that uh, is only interested in, in uh, advancing these s solutions for our for our planet and to you know to be good partners with existing and then uh, of course of course most of uh, the other uh, Organizations that we work with have been around for a long time, and we don't didn't have much to teach them, uh, but we want to be alongside them, and because we, we we all have to work together. It's only no one can act 
independently and and in their own boxes or in their own silos. Uh, it's it's multidisciplinary, of course, but it's by working together that we will achieve the results that we are hoping for. Tremendous, and I I. I Ask your forgiveness because I'm a maths geek, so uh, I'm dividing 100 million by 750 projects. You had time to do that with my long answers. Uh, well, it was. I, I, don't worry, I was also concentrating on the answer, but I did do the math, and it comes out to about 120,000 uh, dollars uh, euros mm -hmm. per project. So mm -hmm. I'm just very struck by the granularity of that, mm -hmm. um, because you know it's quite hard. A lot of charities, a lot of NGOs find it hard mm -hmm. to. You know, to to get funds down to those, frankly, smaller but really kind of on the ground important projects. Yeah. Uh, but that appears to be what you're doing through partners, presumably. No, absolutely. And and none of our uh, projects would would be possible without the, the help of partners. And and we that became very clear right from the beginning. Um, and of course, even if there are projects that we initiate ourselves we, we 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 always find the right partners because we don't also we don't have the staff to to we don't have the knowledge on the ground in in some of these areas and some of these places around the world and so but even you know the the, the seemingly uh unimportant uh, projects that, that don't require a lot of funds some some of them have been the most successful and and they and they were absolutely uh, of vital importance to the communities that uh, uh, that were around these projects or that lived in the area of these projects, and so it, it was it was actually uh, very not only heartwarming, but uh, uh, it was also part of the you know social responsibility of that, that uh, is absolutely paramount in in these projects. So I know this is a difficult question because you'll want to be very diplomatic, but I'm going to ask you if you have any favorites or some examples of the sorts of projects because it'll really bring it to life that you've supported through the foundation in the last couple of years. Well, maybe to go even further back than, than that, I think what we were able to do um, with, uh, of course, with other entities like the World Wildlife Fund and and, and those kind of people and and sorry, and other entities, was to um, make an effort, was to spearhead an effort to uh, try to save the, the population of, of bluefin tuna in the Mediterranean and the adjacent Atlantic area. Um, and we, the, the hope was to put it on the uh, uh, endangered species list. That, that was not possible, but... Uh, Thanks to uh, the collective efforts of all of us, of, of all the entities involved, and all the countries involved, uh, we were able to uh, we forced the uh, the uh, the organizations in in charge of that to uh, uh, lower their quotas uh, of of fishing uh, that that and and uh, of course of uh, the, the Official quotas. We we still know, unfortunately, that there's a lot of uh, illegal and, mm. and and unreported fishing going on. But uh, that those the strengthening of those quotas uh, was enough to uh, save the species and and to uh, have the population rebound. And it it took a few years, but uh, that 
those stricter quotas were absolutely paramount in in uh, helping <laughs> in helping the Mediterranean bluefin tuna survive. And so that that I mean, I could, I could name a lot of other projects that are uh, that, that were very successful, but but I think that was the one that uh, uh, that that is still in people's minds and 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 was still uh, significant enough to to help us uh, grow as a as a foundation. So that was a clear win. Mm-hmm. But you're doing some very interesting stuff on plastics at yep. the moment. That's mm-hmm. become quite a quite a, a main theme, has it not? Absolutely, and it's well, it's it's a worldwide problem, as you know, and, and a hugely uh, complex issue. Uh, and and we are uh, looking at different ways, of course, through through different entities to, to limit the use of plastics and and to propose alternatives. But but uh, and this goes back to the Mediterranean area, uh, the BMED initiative, Beyond Plastic Mediterranean. Um, which is, you know, pooling together of different organizations uh, to help not only with, uh, with cleanup pro- projects, but but to propose different uh, local projects that can that can make a difference in in uh, not only lessening the impact of of plastic waste, but but to find solutions also to uh, to recycle it or to or to reuse it in different ways. And so, it's it's. Just for Mediterranean countries, but but it it, it has proven uh, its worth, and 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 just seeing that the number of initiatives uh, in different countries around the Mediterranean is 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 uh, extremely encouraging. And you, um, one of your other expeditions, which we didn't talk about earlier, um, was to go five thousand meters down, and you saw plastic at depth. Yes, this was in uh, with. Uh, in, on the invitation of Victor Vescovo, who's a uh, is a well-known uh, explorer, and and he's he's been able to dive with his his own sub that he that he put to, that he well his company has built, and he's been in the uh, the deepest part of of every ocean around the world, uh, and so he invited me to to dive in the Calypso Trench, which which is off of Kalamata, Greece, and, and this was. Uh, February of 2020. This was just before COVID, <laughs> just before the lockdown. Uh, but it was a, it was an incredible experience. And it is true that the only things we saw we we, we saw one uh, deep sea shrimp that was kind of floating by, and uh, and the only thing we 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 actually saw on the bottom was sheets of plastic and the bottles and. A, and he, he, Victor Vesco told me that he saw the same thing at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. So that is only proof, if need be, that uh, we are facing uh, an immense problem and uh, that, that we have to absolutely work on. I mean, it's a, it's a sobering and a terrible story, but I have to say I also love the way you've blended your own exploration, adventuring, with then bringing that experience back and doing something about it. And, and uh, we have, a, I think, a mutual friend, it's fair to say, Bertrand Picard, yeah. who was one of the early guests, and he talked about a good and interesting life. It has to be good and interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, a, he's a, an incredible person and, and a great friend, and he, I admire his, 
different adventures around the world. Uh, of course, the special, not only Breitling Orbiter, but a bit of a, a special uh, thought about the, his uh, solar impulse project. And we were very uh, honored to be the control center here in Monaco to, to, to host the control center. And so I was part of that uh, whole adventure uh, very, very closely. And, and uh, it was a, really a breakthrough in, in uh, aviation. But, uh, but, uh, and, but also his, his foundation for 1,000 Solutions is an incredible initiative. And he's been able to uh, pool different uh, and to bring together uh, different uh, initiatives and different companies that do propose solutions that work they that they just need to be scaled up and 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 of course need need funding but but uh, it's an incredible achievement to have brought together so many different uh, uh, great initiatives and i'm i'm honored to say that i'm actually on the advisory board of the solar impulse a thousand <laughs> solutions i want to finish by my just with a, um uh, just looking at monaco itself because you have a 2050 decarbonization target um, you've, it's not the easiest of territories in terms of you don't have a huge land area to do solar panels. Mm -hmm. um, how is that going? How important is it? How is it going? Well, it's it's vitally important for me. I, I uh, you know, I made that commitment on behalf of the, of the principality at the time of of the the COP in Paris, COP COP twenty one, and so where we all had to make commitments. Uh, and I'm happy to say that we are on target. We uh, have passed the the uh, the 38 or almost 39 uh, percent of reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. We, of course, it's still a long way, to, and there's only uh, seven years or, or, or less now uh, toward 2030. Uh, but I'm confident that we will reach that that those targets. Do you have concerns about some of your, um, you know, many of your subjects would have properties outside the principality. They fly to New York, they fly to Miami, they fly. And so their footprint is only to a small extent going to be here in the principality. Mm -hmm. um, do you think they're fully on board, you know, in their whole lives with those targets? Or are they saying, right, well, we'll, we'll go along with it here, but don't expect us to stop flying or really make any deep changes? I think there is. I, if you'd asked me that a few years ago, I, I would have said yes. It's a, it is a problem, and, and we we will try to to address that. We, I think by, you know, by by showing, uh, by showing them what we're doing, and by raising uh, the is significant amount of awareness, uh, people do realize that they uh, that they don't need to travel as much, and I think also. The COVID pandemic has taught us that too. That uh, we we were able to do a lot of a lot of Zoom meetings and and a lot of uh, you know video conference meetings that that uh, and we didn't necessarily all need to be in the same place at the same time. Of course, it is better to to have a face to face meeting, uh, and and some have to be done that way. But um, and it's also leisure travel that 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 needs to be thought of differently and but, but there are different compensation mechanisms now that that uh, work very well and that people uh, uh, have 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 taken in, into consideration and have adhered to and so 
I, I hope that that trend will continue and it must continue. Uh, and so, as I said, it's not necessarily a drastic change in lifestyle. It's just, you know, doing by small increments, uh, doing what we all can to, to lessen our impact uh, and lessen our carbon footprint. And your foundation is so um, focused on the influence that it can have around the world. And so your, you know, your, your other monogasques, your subjects could also have a, a, a huge impact, I think. I hope so. Now, I have just realized that your tie is a shuttlecock tie, if I'm not wrong. Is that correct? No, it is the, the, the emblem of the foundation. Ah, so <laughs> I, I thought it was from the Cresta Run shuttlecock. I do, gets... I do own a shuttlecock tie. As do I. <laughs> As do I. So, uh, well, <laughs> it's excellent to meet fellow members of the shuttlecock. Uh, for our audience, I should yes. explain, it's for those people who've flown out of the Cresta Run on Shuttlecock Corner, you get this exactly. special tie yeah. for surviving one of the more traumatic experiences <laughs> that you can have on ice. Yeah, I, I, my mind was okay. I, I just uh, I realized I was going off the edge, so I, I let go of my sled, and I did a wonderful dive into the hay bales, and so I, there was no harm done. <laughs> I hope there was film of that. I did the same, but there was no film, but yeah. This was in the uh, late 80s, so uh, I, I don't think there's any footage of that. Thank God. What a shame. <laughs> it's been a huge pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. I wish pleasure. you luck with the foundation, with all of your endeavors, and uh, with the journey of Monaco to net zero. And uh, I thank you very thank you much. again for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to Cleaning Up or leave us a review on your chosen podcast platform. And if you want more from Cleaning Up, sign up for our free newsletter at cleaningup.live, where you'll find our archive of over 150 hours of conversation with extraordinary climate leaders. And why not help someone else learn more about the net zero transition by introducing them to Cleaning Up? Cleaning Up is brought to you by our lead supporter, Capricorn Investment Group, the Liebreich Foundation, and the Gilardini Foundation.